Welcome to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains who are also human and sometimes better at being humans than saints. I will be sharing my own experiences of being a chaplain and interviewing others to hear their stories and the stories of their families, as well as learning from colleagues we work with in related fields, because it's our own humanity that unites us on this very spiritual journey through a very mortal life. to start by just introducing yourself a little bit for listeners to orient to the sound of your voice. We'll start there. Okay. My name is Leslie Merkley. I am a endorsed chaplain. Um, so I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I went through clinical pastoral education and graduated in August. Um, so I'm fairly new at this. Um, I live in the Woodlands, Texas at the moment. How did you even find out about chaplaincy? What's your story there? (laughs) Okay, so um, many years ago, 20 plus years ago, I was serving as Relief Society President in McKinney, Texas, and we had a, a tragedy in our ward. So the day before Thanksgiving, there was a family traveling to see out-of-town family, and they were um, involved in a traffic accident that took both of the parents' lives and left five children. Because of the timing, there was no other ward leadership around. It was me and the young women's president who were in town. And I really felt strongly that those kids... I wanted people by their bedside when they came out of their various surgeries, but they were spread between multiple hospitals. Some had been airlifted and no one would give me any information because I wasn't family. And I was um, really trying to do my best. At that point, we knew the mother had passed um, and the father was in critical condition. And I um, felt the great responsibility to her to make sure her kids were taken care of that day. And no one would give me any information. So finally, a nurse said, why don't you talk to the hospital chaplain and see if he can help you? And I didn't know what that was, but I was willing to talk to anyone. Um, And this wonderful man came, gained the understanding that we were all they had in that moment, that there wasn't any family, that would be coming until the next day. And, you know, within 20 minutes, I had access to all of the hospitals and could get primary teachers and neighbors and friends um, to bedsides. And, you know, I just thought that's the greatest job in the world. Like, I want to do that. I love um, the clinical setting. I was an EMT um, so many years ago. Um, feel comfortable in that setting, I thought, ooh, and to be able to, like, have the spiritual aspect of that, I would love to do that. 
And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I don't think LDS women can do that. <laughs> this was a long time ago. Right. Um, so that just kind of stayed in the back of my mind. That experience was um, incredible. And over the years with different people, I spent time in hospitals a lot. And again, I just thought, wow, that would be such a really cool job. Okay, so fast forward now, it is November of 2020, and I'm scrolling my social media, and it was um, the year that President Nelson asked us to do hashtag give thanks. And so a, a girl that I hadn't seen, a woman, she was, when I was her young women's leader, had been in my ward way back when I was first married, and she had a, a hashtag give thanks post to her mom who had gone back to school and was now a board certified chaplain working in hospice. And it was the weirdest, like, it sounds so dramatic, right? But the world kind of like stopped spinning. And I went, wait, I can do that. Like someone did that. I can do that. So I immediately started instant messaging this person who'd never heard, hadn't heard from me for years. Um, and I, you know, tell me everything. How did your mom do it? What, you even go to school for that? What is that? So I just jumped in, um, feet first. And I had to find out what CPE even was, um, where I could take it. And wow, the Lord was really instrumental. And you don't understand how so until you get to the other side of it, um, as I started researching different programs. So I'm, I'm a stay at home mom have been for a long time. And my kids, I only have two boys and they are 17 years apart. So I am still raising, um, my youngest, he's in junior high right now. Anyway, I, these programs, these CPE programs were just way too intense for what my life could take at the moment. And I found one and I went, okay, it's online. Of course, the world was still sort of shut down then. So I needed to do online. I was in Texas. No one here knew anything that I was doing. Tried to get in with some of the hospitals. Um, and again, those programs were just, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do them. Anyway, turns out that the, um, it's called World Spiritual Health Organization, WOSHO. Um, I called and talked to them and just you know, had no idea, but the people who founded it were members of the church and had a complete understanding of my service as a Relief Society president twice and a young woman's president twice and, uh, you know, all the different places that I've lived and the things that I, and they were welcoming me to the program, even though I didn't have a wonderful resume um, because I've been at home so many years. Um, so that was amazing. And then the, and so I just had to find clinical hours on my own. Um, and I, I canvassed the area for hospice companies that I could volunteer for and just started there. And the first hospice company that called me back was the one that I applied with and did their training and started, um, working with them. And in the summers, um, my oldest son lives in Utah and we still have a home there. So we go there all summer long and I needed to get my clinical hours and I was trying to find maybe a hospice that I could volunteer for in Utah. Turns out the hospice company I was 
volunteering for currently also had offices in Utah. All amazing. So I was um, shadowing one of their chaplains out there in the summer. She happened to be an LDS woman and happens to mention, oh, well, did you know the church has a chaplaincy department and they put on a wonderful training every year? I had no idea. I didn't know the church. You know, I just didn't know anything. I just jumped in um, and followed the prompting. And then it just led me on this amazing um, ride of learning and growth. It's been beautiful. It's been fun. I love this story so much, how I think many of us experience in so many areas of our lives, but also chaplaincy where it really unfolds one step at a time. It's like another experience of line upon line. Like yeah. that doesn't just happen through knowledge or through revelation. Also our experiences and our our lives unfold line upon line, precept upon precept, one piece at a time, one step at a time. And your story is such a beautiful example of that. <laughs> the Lord surprises us all the time. <laughs> All the time. It surprised me several times in my life. Um, I think that one thing that really impacted me just through doing clinical pastoral education was the um, weekly reflections that we had to turn in. And it was always the same questions. Um, but it was things like, what are you learning? Um about God? What is God trying to teach you? What are you learning about yourself? What are you learning about human beings? And, you know, it was sometimes it was challenging to answer those questions week after week, um, because mostly I thought, you know, what the Lord is trying to teach me is going to take me a lot longer than a week. <laughs> maybe, maybe just say, what is he not trying to teach me this week would be easier. Um, but it was uh, such a a beautiful experience to write that. And I kind of had the idea, which I don't think was my own, um, to somehow, I wanted to somehow capture the things that I had learned, um, but not spread out over 45 weeks of homework assignments, right? So I started kind of trying to correlate it and I'm working on putting it into a book form for myself. I just, I want to call it uh, maybe alongside and just the things that I learned that helped me grow um, as I went through that. And as I started working in hospice and now I am a hospice chaplain um, here in the woodlands and, and it's just so you have this sacred place um, in these moments where people are so um, fragile and vulnerable and it really is a sacred privilege and I take it very seriously that I'm even allowed to be in their space at that time um, but the gift is as you spend time with people whose time is limited it has given me the gift of time if that makes any sense um, because it gives you perspective and so it's allowed my own time to be appreciated a little bit deeper. And so I consider it really a privilege to be where I am when I'm with people. 
That's so beautiful. And I think the most important aspect of ministry is just people and being present with them. And one of my favorite aspects of chaplaincy is that presence ministry where it's not about solving problems. It's not about changing people. It's not about trying to get people from one place to another, although any of those things can always come up. But it's really right. just about meeting them where they are and being present with them in that moment, in that space, as they are already, and loving them there and learning from them there. And the, the spiritual experiences that happen because of being that real and that raw with another human being, not even yeah. just because I know so much or I have this to offer, but literally that is, um, comes out of that moment. It reminds me of how in the, in Hebrew, especially it shows up, but when they're the creation accounts and the spirit is just brooding and there's a brooding and something is coming out of that, you feel that in chaplaincy. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, because my focus for so many years, I've done a lot of um, service and, you know, but for the most part, just to stay at home mom, right? And what I loved as I was doing CPE and um, learning about chaplaincy was how seamless it um, translates into uh, parenting, like every single thing. And it, it gave me um, some really important gifts with my own children. And I just decided I was going to parent like a chaplain. And it, um, I really think that was maybe the reason the Lord gave me chaplaincy when he did, um, just so I would have that better perspective that I needed. And um, it's been so lovely I always struggle to find the word because I'm enthusiastic about it. And I want to say I, it's so fun. And then that's inappropriate. It's not fun, right? <laughs> you are. When you're hanging out and working in hospice, that should not be the word that describes it. But the enthusiasm that it has brought into my life um, to be given that privilege, I, it sometimes just comes out too exuberantly. <laughs> well, there's a... There's a richness there. Chaplaincy does not have space for superficiality. And so yeah. there is a depth that comes in those moments that is exciting and fun, not in an exploitive way and not in a um, making light of way, but in right. the literal, the depth of realness of the experiences we share together. I mean, it's, it's now nearly impossible for me to talk about the weather with someone. It's just like, we're going to have an, we're going to have a good conversation and it's, and it's probably going to have some depth to it. Right. Um, so I, I love that part of it. I, I think that some of my own, um, experiences that the Lord kind of has led me through up to it has allowed me, oh, just to have empathy and compassion in places that I may not have really understood. And 
I've never felt uncomfortable in clinical settings with people at the end of their lives or, or in crisis. And so in some ways I feel kind of obligated um, because I know that's not an easy place to be. And if I can do that, then I should. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of meet that obligation that I feel. Is there a particular experience that you could share with us as an example of that in an appropriate way that's not overly intrusive or disclosing? Um, well, I, I can tell my own. So I have, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 28, um, which was young, <laughs> but uh, kind of classic for that disease process. It's an autoimmune disease. Um, my oldest son was only three. And so I've been doing this for a long time and I've had excellent medical care. Um, but in 2018, um, I'd had a surgery on my foot that required me to come off my medications, which allowed me to kind of see for the first time in many years the full extent of my disease. I, I was very appreciative of the meds uh, that I am able to take when I saw what it was like without them. But after the healing of my foot and going back on the medications, the same level of medications did not get things back under control. So we started adding additional doses and additional medications. Um, I was needing to travel and wanted to get my health back together so I could do that. And I did. And it was great. And I was serving as Relief Society president. I was finally back on my feet. And then the beginning of December, I just, for no reason, like couldn't catch my breath, couldn't really breathe. And it was, it was more just disquieting to people around me because I would have to take a breath between, you know, every word. And I, I talk a lot. So it was, <laughs> it was weird. And I went to the ER. They, did every test, said, we don't know, had me stay the night. Um, the rest in the hospital was not great, but it, I didn't, wasn't walking around. So I appeared better, went home, was right back in the hospital. Um, and then I was there for 27 days while they tried to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and I think that the first thought that I had, of course, was I was so frustrated and I thought, you know, Heavenly Father, I'm doing it. I, I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to serve as best I can. And, you know, I'm not, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't talk, which is really frustrating for me. Um, and I started thinking about all the different examples in the scriptures where people are kind of struck dumb and not able to talk or move so the spirit can teach them. And so I really, I humbled myself and I said, okay, Heavenly Father, I am quiet. What do you want me to hear? And that changed um, that experience from that moment on. And I just really focused my time. That was frustrating because really they didn't know what was going on. I had so many different doctors trying to figure it out. But for me, in my mental state, I was able to just focus on what I could learn from the Lord. 
And I quieted my hospital room the best I could. I didn't have the TV on. I tried to bring in the music that I loved. And um, I felt like I was just in a in a cocoon almost. It was really interesting. And um, it's something that, it's, you know, no one's going to get it unless they were really there. But for me, um, I was I was ready. I was waiting for this revelatory experience. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to like write an inside article about this. This is going to be amazing, right? <laughs> Dork. And anyway, I, I got my revelatory experience. And but I didn't appreciate it in that moment because what I understood finally about two days before Christmas when I was still there and they still didn't know what was wrong um, was what the Lord was most trying to show me and help me understand was his love and all the different ways it had been brought to me um, through text messages and letters and cards. I couldn't have visitors um, very few, but that, that feeling of love was, um, really important. And it, it really wasn't until I got released, I was still on oxygen 24 seven for another five months. And as I started to just be able to heal a little bit, then that understanding of how huge that was, because initially I kind of thought, Oh, love. Yeah. Okay. We know that's important. But I wasn't really understanding um, that everything revolves around that. The mysteries of heaven, I believe, is love and understanding in even the smallest way how the Lord feels about us um, can change everything in our lives. And so that was really um, important. And that is what carries into chaplaincy in such a beautiful way is just trying to, even if that person isn't um, a believer in Christ, for example, um, someone told me this, and I love it, is when you can't, even if you can't talk specifically about Christ, you can be like Christ. And I can always bring that love and remind people of how much value they have. Um, That's a struggle with people who are in their last, they just, everything's been stripped away from them and they can't do what they used to do. And they most times don't even live in their own home anymore. And so all of the things that brought them joy are shrunk to this little room and a little TV. And they find it very hard to find, understand that they still have value. Um, And, and I love just being able to remind them that, it's not about what they are doing. It's about who they are and their being. That is so beautiful. And I think an important piece for all of us to remember that we are who we are and there's value and love experienced in that and not something we have to earn or perform or do for that to count, for us to matter, for there to be worth in our lives. And that that value continues even to the very end that the work that people do as they um, leave this life is work and it's it's important. And it's 
I think it's valuing life right up until the end um, and honoring what they're going through and doing. And not everyone gets a peaceful death. Um, and that doesn't take away any of the value and beauty of the work they performed. I think that until someone has experienced that either with a family member or um, in their own chaplaincy experiences, the, the struggle of death is the work of death is something people don't often think about. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's a privilege to uh, hold someone's hand while they do that work that's hard for us to understand from this side of it. There are sometimes such a parallel to even to labor, to, to birthing. That, that is why there's that joke of calling us hospice chaplains, the doulas of death, because yeah. there is, there's a rhythm to it. There is, um, and certainly it's different for everyone, but there's intentionality about it. There's a rhythm to it. There is the work of passing, of transitioning, that is so sacred and so unique and specific to each person and to each experience that it's unlike anything else. Yeah. And I, I like the opportunity to be with um, families who are there and helping their loved one and just help them see it that way instead of only seeing it as um you know the the suffering right that there's purpose there that their loved one is still living um you know i wrote something now that you're maybe we um let me see if i can find it really fast i wasn't planning on sharing it but as i have been working in hospice it just kind of came to me one morning what I wanted my family to know um, when I was in that, you know, if I found myself in that situation. So this was what I wrote. Um, I, it's called For the Ones I Love When I Am Near the End of My Life. I am not just dying. I am still living the best I can. All is well. If I cannot talk, Please know that I'm finally reaching my goal of being a better listener. Talk to me. Tell me your stories. Tell me your worries. I can hear you. Hold my hand. Know that I love you. If my brain doesn't allow me to express my thoughts the way I used to, please know that my spirit is still feeling after yours. My heart still knows you love me. Play music for me. Pray with me. Remind me, smile and laugh with me, hold my hand, know that I love you. If I seem to be suffering, please know my Savior is with me. Talk to me, read to me, play music for me, pray for me, hold my hand, know that I love you. All is well, all my love, Leslie. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably. 
The honor that's in that and the dignity that's in that brings me back to something you said earlier about parenting as a chaplain. How do you offer that to adolescents and young adult children when it's all about not conflict between us, but differentiating from us and becoming their own people? Yeah, um, I think that I'll give the credit to um, the spiritual work that happens as you take um, go through clinical pastoral education. At least that was, for me, um, what really helped expand my, uh, is it my belief? Is it my faith? My understanding and my willingness to believe in God's um, all-encompassing power to take care of my boys and that I don't have to do it all by myself. And for a long time, I carried that weight of, um, you know, we have a responsibility, right? We've been given these um, children and we do our very best, um, but they still get to make all of their own choices. And I, for a long time, uh, had too much pride, I think. I was really wanting um, their journey to be my own, um, and, it, and it isn't. Um, I had kind of an aha moment, I guess. I don't even remember what um, the source was, but someone posed this question of, is God disappointed? Is God is disappointed in us? And my knee-jerk reaction was, uh, yeah, like most of my life, I'm pretty sure the Lord's been disappointed. And then I, but I really thought about it for the next couple of days. And I went, you know, okay, I believe in a God. Well, first of all, if a disappointment is an expectation that's unmet. Um, and I believe in a God who knows the beginning from the end. And disappointment is not um, what he feels about me or about anyone. And I decided in that moment that I needed to um, parent in a different way. Because for a long time, I really clung to, I thought my disappointment was pretty righteous. You know, <laughs> like I deserve to be disappointed in some of the decisions that um, my child is making. I, I deserve that. I, and I, it didn't do anything for me. And finally asking that question, I went, what does me holding on to that feeling of disappointment do? It only created space between me and my son. And it created space between me and my God. And so when I could just say, okay, I, that doesn't even need to come into play. There doesn't need to be disappointment. There needs to be um, what's needed instead of, well, that's what, that's the consequence, right? That's what they deserve. And instead it's like, what is needed? What more can I provide? Um, and how can I better let God do this? Um, I think I just didn't have enough trust maybe earlier on in my life. Um, 
I carried too much of the responsibility and people would say, oh, just lay it at the feet of Jesus. And I had no idea what that looked like. I didn't know what that meant. And I think um, the experience I had with having a greater understanding of how much we don't even understand about God's love for us um, and letting go of that idea of just being disappointed because really a lot of parenthood, you can just spend a lot of time there <laughs> just being, feeling disappointed about some of the things your kids are deciding to do or not to, even when it comes down to homework. And it used to be that was the thing. You'd get in trouble and you'd hear, well, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Um, and I was really grateful when I decided to just parent like a chaplain and let go of that um, what you were saying, where you don't go in with an expectation. You go in and you're led by what they need. Um, and the more that I do that as a parent, um, the better I feel about my parenting. Um, I'm still incredibly imperfect. Ask either one of my sons. They'll be happy to corroborate that. <laughs> I, I experienced a very similar journey, not through the venue of disappointment, the way you navigated that. <laughs> Mine was a different kind of anxiety, maybe, um, mm -hmm. in that all of our kids are adopted from foster care. And so they came to us not like already started and they came to us all at once and they came to us with so much trauma. Wow. And we had these years between foster care and post-adoption where our house was constantly invaded by people who had to report everything. So not just if they were in danger, but they had to report if there was progress, if there was not progress, if the kids looked happy, if they did not look happy, if um, what kind of food they were eating, like every single thing, different caseworkers, different therapists, different physical therapists, all these different providers who were there to support the children. And I knew that, and that was good. And I'm so grateful. And they used those services all the way up until the pandemic. And then like everything stopped, right? And I was like, oh no, what now? How do I do this? But we would have up until the pandemic, we would have literally 30 to 35 appointments in our house every week because wow. we have six medically fragile or disabled children that needed all these different things. And every it felt like sometimes, I know that it wasn't, but sometimes it felt like we were constantly getting graded on a pass or fail kind of system of if I don't do this correctly, like especially with my youngest one who had a complex airway, she was on oxygen and a G-tube, there was this feeling of like, if I don't do this right, she's going to die. And, and she yeah. was on hospice for a while and we were expecting that. And she has made it through that season and I'm so grateful. But it was really traumatizing of dealing with everyone else watching how we're doing every single thing and whether that is good or bad. So it became very binary, meaning that all good or all bad, it's a pass or fail kind of system. And it really led to a lot of anxiety for me to where I noticed I started putting that on the children, not intentionally, but this of, no, we, we have to do this because 
something terrible will happen if we don't, right? So between that and then my own trauma just from going up, it really was starting to build as they shifted from being little ones into preteens, it started to shift not into conflict, but I noticed they were starting to have some anxiety and that they were having this perspective. And I was like, whoa, okay, we need to take a time out here because we are actually safe. You're not in foster care anymore. You're healthy and strong and you're doing great. You're thriving, you're beautiful kids. What does succeeding mean to you? And then now that those kids are starting to become teenagers, then even things like their IEPs at school are no longer about we need to know what is this disability. We need to know all about this disability. Now it's becoming like, how do you advocate for yourself? What do you want? What do you not want? How do you, like what does, like what you said, what does success mean to you? Even culminating into one of my oldest um, kiddos struggling enough, even when I was on a deployment assignment, that it was like, you, you, like, you're losing, like, there's nothing else for you to lose. You're in trouble at school. You're in trouble at home. You're like, where are we going with this? And, and realizing, okay, we just need to stop and redefine what does success mean to you? What does being happy and healthy mean to you? And how can we help that? And how can we support you in that? which ultimately led to us actually getting approval for him to move with me and now him living with me while I am deployed, which has never happened before, Wow! right? And yeah. him being with me. So our family in some ways at a surface level looks like it's been split up, but actually he's doing really fantastic right now. And he's doing fantastic at school. He's doing fantastic at home. He's starting to make friends for the first time finally. And for whatever reason, that was enough of a shift that it's about what he needed. And so yeah. there's all kinds of other ways and flying back and forth and texting and Zoom and all the things to parent the other children as best we can. But we are in a season where what he needs literally to survive, I believe, is yeah. that he's got to be here. And so it's what we're doing. Can I just say, Emily, you're a rock star. <laughs> I'm a mess, but thank you. Wow. <laughs> I'm amazed. Um, yeah, I, I think that part of my um, just a misunderstanding, I guess, um, as I have come, someone will ask me, what's the, what's your biggest takeaway, right? From becoming a chaplain. And it's been such a gift to learn about others, religious beliefs and faith backgrounds, the rituals that bring meaning to their lives, um, have all just been beautifully layered into my own faith. I love um, viewing others' beliefs through the lens of the restored gospel and learning about how things continue and the restoration continues and it's not done. And um, 
learning about grace and love. And I think my biggest takeaway was just this greater understanding of how how many more people than I ever imagined will turn and recognize Christ when he comes again. Even those who may not have acknowledged his name, um, when they see, they will recognize that that is what they've been striving for. So many good, wonderful people who are living their lives in a beautiful way, regardless of what they claim or not claim to believe. I think Christ has room. We know he has room for everyone. And I think so many more people will want to learn and see and turn towards him. And that is um, a lifting for me to know that um, it's not ju- it's not my job, right? That's God's work. And my work is to love. I think that plays right into one of the best pieces of chaplaincy in that rarely, sometimes, but rarely do we as chaplains, any kind of chaplain, get to meet with people on just a good day. So, yeah. <laughs> so, right. so often we are meeting with people in their worst crisis moment or what yeah. feels to them like a worst crisis moment. And not that I want people to be in crisis, but the beauty of a crisis is how it strips away all that we thought we knew mm-hmm. and all the ways we have sort of dissociated from what is faith and what is flowing along or the difference between faith and culture or the different, like all these things that we sort of without realizing surround ourselves with to feel safe, mm-hmm. where, but don't actually require acts of faith. And Correct. whatever our faith is and however we have shaped our faith or what progress we've made in our own faith journey or whatever that looks like to anyone to enter a crisis is to let go of all of that and be transformed by some shape of a new act of faith and to to meet that in that moment and to be there in that moment can be a really beautiful thing that we don't always recognize until later. Yeah. And I think that I met with a family last week uh, in a bereavement capacity. So their loved one has already passed away. Um, and we were talking about, you know, just there's going to be every, every feeling, right? Not just feeling sad, not just feeling like you're going to have every feeling and it's okay. And the 25 year old son who just lost his mother said, I'm so glad you said that because you know, I, I'm angry. And I said, tell me, tell me who you're angry at. And he said, I'm, I'm mad at God. And I loved being able to encourage even anger um, because I said, God can take it. Don't stop talking to him. 
If you need to be angry and that's how you're going to talk right now, do that. Just don't break that connection. And I love feeling that we have um, a father who can take it. The mess, the, you know, misunderstandings are such frailties um, and he can take all of it and, and not just take it, but love us around and over and through in spite of. Um, and I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I so appreciate you coming on and so appreciate your being brave and vulnerable to share with us and to be on the podcast. I loved it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank I'm you so much. Let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. They are a rock star, Emily. Thank wow. you. Thank you. Impressive. I hope you're doing an episode with your story. There are a few. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the one I want to hear. That's the one we need to hear, not mine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's so funny. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains, even those of us who are very human and still learning to become saints. You can follow us by subscribing to the podcast on any podcast player. Thank you.